Welcome to the Leadership After Hours podcast. Real talk with real leaders committed to creating better companies and a better world. Presented by Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits with your host, Sean Patton. We're so glad you found us here at the Leadership After Hours podcast. If you're finding value in this content, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're on. This helps us reach more people and spread the modern leadership movement. Also, you don't want to miss out on a single episode. So again, make sure you hit the subscribe button and share the Leadership After Hours podcast with your friends, your coworkers, and your family so we can push the movement of the modern leader forward. All right, well, welcome to the Leadership After Hours podcast. I am very excited to be here with someone I've known for years and I've gotten to know even better the last few years, which is retired General Scott Brower, who we met uh, in Fifth Special Forces Group when you were the commander and I was a lowly team leader uh, doing my best. Uh, and now you've had a lot of interesting roles and currently are the uh, executive director, is that right? Executive director of the Bass Military Scholars Program yep. at Vanderbilt yeah. University. So um, thank you for being here today, you know, General. I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here, with Sean. <laughs> We've got so many lessons, and and one of the things we love doing here is we get this wide variety of leaders. And man, do you have such a unique background? So, you know, we both graduated from uh, military academy at West Point. Um, you know, I was a couple years after you, but not not many. Couple, uh, couple. So, uh, so what was that experience like? You know, I think one of the questions I know I get, I'm sure maybe you don't as much, but. I get why, 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 what got you there? You know, why West Point, that sort of thing. So what was that like decision like as, you know, in your, it was, uh, it's a very unique, uh, situation that got me there, right? Mm -hmm. I I grew up in New Jersey in North Jersey. So Mm -hmm. only an hour away from the Academy. Uh, I was a first generation college student, right? My, Mm -hmm. my father had served in the, in the military, had served in the United States Navy before I was born. It was not part of my upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't exposed to that where we talk about, uh, the military being a family business these days, mm-hmm. unfortunately for our nation, that's not a, a necessarily a good thing, but but we see it happen a lot. Um, but my high school guidance counselor went to a conference at West Point and came back and said, that's where you need to go to school. And I thought he was out of his mind. <laughs> I still am not sure. He still may, you know, people may agree with me now. Uh, but that's literally what started me on that journey to, to end up at West Point. Wow. Yeah. And then would you uh, branch into the infantry? I, I branched you? into air defense artillery. Oh, wow. Initially. Cool. All right. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. Right. So um, I was not at the top of my class, right? <laughs> okay. So I didn't have all no. the options afforded <laughs> to everybody. Um, but in all honesty, I just uh, – I heard – I think it, it probably was something that set me on the trajectory to where I ended up was – um, at West Point, you hear infantry armor, infantry armor all the time. And I was like, oh, if they're going to tell me that's what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> and so I did something my, I went my own today. way, right? And so I went into air defense artillery. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, shortly after that, uh, I don't even remember my first exposure to um, special forces. I, it, it took place over in Germany. I was stationed in Germany with the 8th Infantry Division in a place called Wachernheim, Germany. Uh, and in 10 special forces group, obviously with soldiers, you know, in Europe, mm-hmm. in Germany at the time, I had some exposure to them and just learned a little bit about it. Right. And learned small, close knit, tight organization. Right. And I'm like, okay, grew up playing sports my whole life. That's what I enjoyed. Right. Being part of that, that team, that tight knit team. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I started finding out was what existed inside that, that community, mm-hmm. which is where, where we both ended up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you, you talk about, you know, kind of that rebellious nature. And uh, I, I've done some work on how do we help people find purpose and values yeah. in North Star. And, and I'm still sort of 
it's sort of like a passion of mine of really refining that process. And so I, one thing I have people do, we've talked about this podcast before is trying to define yourself in three words that have nothing to do with external responsibilities. Right. So nothing, you know, you know, father, husband, you know, um, whatever soldier, you know, no, like you're on an Island by yourself or you're dropped with who are you there? And, and one of my three words I came up with rebel. <laughs> and I think for that exact reason, and I think that's the reason I was probably, uh, I don't think I was a bad infantry officer, but I think I was a, a much better Green Beret than I was infantry officer for that reason. Because we, yeah. we get to sort of lean into that that rebellious nature, kind of against the grain, you know? A little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's it's interesting where I'm a huge believer in round pegs, round holes, right? Let's mm-hmm. get people where they can – where they can excel, right, for the organization and themselves, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can – have talented people in in an organization, but they're if they're not properly situated in the right position, mm-hmm. with the right flexibility, right the right responsibilities, they probably won't thrive, mm-hmm. right in a lot of different ways. So you know, I always I always hated right the oh, there's people that hate SF and hey, it's a tool in the kit bag. I never heard anyone say I hate the infantry, I hate the field <laughs> artillery, yeah. but you would hear people oh they, they don't like special forces right mm-hmm. for whatever reason it was. And I think over the last 20, 25 years, our, our army's grown. You don't hear that from your generation as much, mm-hmm. right? And I think over 20 years of conflict, we learned the importance of working together, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a, a huge growing part. That's I don't say that proudly, right, because that was a weakness in our army, the mm-hmm. fact that we work so much better together nowadays, right, recognizing mm-hmm. everybody's a piece of the puzzle and a piece of the solution is a, is a hugely important thing. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I get that a lot. I'm sure you do from maybe uh, people aren't as familiar with special operations, even trying to explain special operations for special forces. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, they almost look at it as like a, like a hierarchy, right? Like you go in and you're an Air Force rescue pair jumper, and then you're going to go to something else and you're going to move up and you're going to be a Green Beret or a SEAL. And then next thing you're going to, it's like, it would be kind of silly if we had all these people doing this, like a linear stack of the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. It's all different in different roles and responsibilities. And I think that's something that carries over. I mean, it's something I'm doing with my own company right now, right? It's yeah. like, how do you find, and, and how do you identify, you know, right people, not just on the bus, but, you know, in the right seat in the bus, kind of like That's Jim right. Collins, good to great style. So when you, when you've seen that with organizations, whether you're working with them now or when you're in the military, uh, any, what have you seen work in terms of how do you, I guess, first identify maybe that someone's not in the right seat or they are in the right seat. And then what's, what's a process that leaders can go through to try to make sure, well, are they, are they a good fit for the bus <laughs> or do they need to be off the bus or do they just need to be moved inside of it? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's investing the time in your people to get to know your people. I honestly, right. I mean, I think it is that simple, mm-hmm. uh, honestly, where, you know, it, the special operations community, obviously we have selection processes, right. Yeah. Which, which I think are incredibly helpful for us, mm-hmm. but recognizing in a special forces group, right. 50% of the people are support soldiers that are incredibly important to make that organization function, right? Not all of them are going to excel inside of that formation, right? Where you have more flexibility, you have a more undefined mission, right? So mm-hmm. uh, initiative, right? Creative thinking are things that are incredibly important there where in some organizations, that's not what you're needing to do or, or asked to do right mm-hmm. there. So I've seen, I, I, I had a, a, a finance officer that worked for us and he told me well after he was done inside the organization, he said, for the first six months he was in our organization, 50% of his diet was Pepto-Bismol. He was right, – because everything that we did, it wasn't illegal, immoral, unethical. Yeah. It was just different and it was not how he was trained yeah. as a finance officer. Not fit in the black and white, this box, this it box. It was yeah. so complicated for him, right? Mm-hmm. He, he left that job and worked at a four-star headquarters and he mm-hmm. said he was done at work by three every day. It was so much easier, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So, but he, but he fit well, right? Once he understood it, right, mm-hmm. he fit well and he excelled inside of our organization. Mm-hmm. I, I worked with um, a chaplain once that uh, did not excel inside of our organization just for how he interacted. And, and we recognized, though, we're like, he wasn't a bad chaplain. He was a good chaplain. It's just the dynamic of our culture he didn't fit well with that culture. And we made a recommendation of where he should work inside the Army. The Army actually moved him there on his next assignment, and he was phenomenal in that role, right? So when we took the time to understand the person and and what their strengths were, right, how they functioned, how they received information, how they like to communicate with others, and you can kind of, you know, work that with the organization uh, and the culture of different pieces of it, mm-hmm. I think that works very, very well. But you got you have to invest that time to know your people. Yeah, I, I think that's so critical. And that's you know very similar to what we've seen when it comes down to you know, if you went to a company and said, what are the biggest things you could like implement or make a change to have sort of a radical impact? And and I'd love to hear maybe your thoughts on this or things you could add or you know tell me I'm all jacked up um, like the good like the good old days. Uh, but the uh, it comes down to, to my mind communication and counseling programs. Like if you can communicate and you can counsel and have a regular cycle to have those conversations, I feel like that that fixes 90% of the issues in most organizations. So I was a battalion executive officer in 2003. And our new battalion commander came in and he said, hey, I want to, I you know, we're going to talk with all 450 soldiers in our organization. And we're going to give them three by five cards and, and put two things that we do well, two things we need to improve inside of this organization. As the executive, I collected all of them up and I kind of collated them into, into themes. At least one third of the what we need to improve centered around communication, mm-hmm. right? Hey, I'm in the organization, but I don't understand where we're trying to go or why we're doing what we're doing and when we're doing it. And so that that was in 2003. I've found that's remained true inside of every organization I've been since then, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to communicate the organization's goals, priorities, responsibilities, right? What your role is, what, how it fits in. That is absolutely critical to every organization I've been a part of. And where I've seen organizations struggle, it's when they don't communicate effectively, right? And tied to that is that counseling, right? What is my expectation of you? Also, just as important, right? If, if I'm the boss, right? And you're working for me, I have to let you know what I expect of you but I want to know what you expect of me as well, right? That should be a two-way conversation. Yeah. All too often, that doesn't happen, right? To hear what what does the subordinate want, right? What are your career goals? What are your aspirations? Right. Where do you want to go, right? Because I, you know, I've seen organizations that, well, I can't let Sean go to this schooling, or I can't let him advance because he's so critical in this role. I got to keep him there. He's not going to be happy, mm-hmm. right? The person's not going to excel. They're not going to thrive, and you're going to create a culture of. I don't care about what's in your best interest, right? Mm-hmm. I'd rather risk losing you for your own advancement to see you excel because I know I'm going to attract people that know I'm going to take care of you at the right yeah. time, right? And I'm going to let you go because it's going to help you in the future, right? And it's going to create an environment where, right, we're going to be somebody, you know, we're going to be part of an organization that you want to be around. I think that's a, such a man, there's such a gold nugget there on cultural creation. And I think that that, you know, I get asked a lot of times and we even, you know, put together content and work with clients on how do you create a winning culture? And, you know, I think that that sometimes it, it's hard to say, well, step one, blue, step two, you know, it's like, well, there's, 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 it's hard to do like a block and tackle chart of like perfect culture. But um, I think there's some principles there that are sort of universal. And to your point, 
showing that you want them to succeed. And, you know, one, one term that I'm sorry to use is called purpose alignment where, uh, and maybe that purpose is, well, I only want to be here for three years because my real, my real goal is to get, you know, information, you know, or skills or experience. And I want to move on to this other thing where I want to start my own thing or I want to do whatever. Um, and if you try to fight that, you're going to get subpar performance. You're going to get now buy-in, but if you can just say, okay, so, you know, you're, your goal is to open a bakery uh, and you need $150,000 to do it. And that's why you're here. Then if I talk to you about advancement inside the company or KPIs and metrics, you don't care. Let's figure out how fast we can make you 150 grand. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool. Now they're, now they're in I'm and in. now you're going to get, you know, maybe you only get in two or three years out of them, but you're going to get hard charge in two or three years. And you're going to know when they exit and you're going to get nothing but positivity back because you, you found a way to align uh, the benefit and the purpose of the organization with theirs, even if it, that means their purpose is to leave the organization. Yeah. doesn't hurt your Yelp reviews either. (laughs) Right. right. Your former, you know, employees, when they say, Hey, this is a great place to work. They're going to look after you. They're going to take care of you. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that perpetuates itself. I've seen in the organization you and I both worked in, right. Mm -hmm. There was a lady that worked in the finance office again and she left right for a promotion uh, in another unit right on Fort Campbell. And six months later, she was back with us. She took a pay cut to come back because the culture was such a better fit for her. And Mm -hmm. she felt part of the organization. She felt valued. It was very important for her. Right. So, and and we weren't like, oh, we can get her cheaper. It was just the structure of a military government organization, right? That's what the slot afforded. But she recognized that the culture was more important than that, Mm -hmm. that pay difference right there. Right. Because she was so much happier there. Well, first of all, I'm about to take this and we're about to make a, a, a ad set on it because that's, you know, with stronger leaders, stronger profits, we really, you're, you're speaking my language in terms of what our belief is, is that fulfillment and profitability are intrinsically mixed. They're not separate components and that, you know, to your point, right, you can, we want to create a fulfilling environment that people want to work in, that we know we're going to take care of them. And, you know, if you take your altruistic hat off a bit, you know, from a bit, at least from a, for a business sense or from a mission sense, from military, is what that means is that this person, if you provide that environment, will work harder, be more productive, and they'll do it for less money. So it's yeah. like that is like what else do you want? Yeah. <laughs> you know, from your that, yeah. that that is profitability, right? So and and but to try to shift, what is your take on sort of I guess the meta movement inside business inside these maybe large organizations toward, I guess an understanding or a grasp or a recognition of the importance, strategic importance of that, of that whole person leadership, of that fulfillment, that work is not just a transaction for people. And, and it's actually a benefit to the company, but it's not like, have you seen people go that way or not? Or what are you seeing at your level of people you're talking to? Um, I, I think, honestly, I think what, what I've seen, right. And I've been military for 29 plus years and I've, I'm in my third job in four and a half years outside of the military, right, through a really weird set of circumstances. Um, but, you know, large organizations, uh, I think the leadership aspect of it is so incredibly important, right? Uh, but but often it doesn't necessarily translate uh, up and down inside of an organization, right? A leader may have a vision. He or she may be a great leader with a great passion, um, but if it's not translated inside of the organization, right, where everybody feels connected to that, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's hugely problematic. And that's what I've seen uh, since I've been out in some some rather large, large organizations, right, where there's not that connection from top to bottom. What about solutions for that? 
talk to your people. You got to get out. Well, I've always been a believer in getting out and walking around. Um, you know, I think the the pandemic has has hurt us since right now the ability to do things virtually that that it that can be a blessing. Um, but uh, if it doesn't allow leaders to be with their people, that's problematic, right? Mm-hmm. I, I am a huge believer in. And, and walk around leadership, right? Get up, go see your people. When I meet new people, even at Vanderbilt University, where I've been for the last two years, every time I meet somebody new, they're like, hey, Scott, I'll come by your office. I'm like, nope, I don't want you to come by my office. I want to come to your office because I'm still learning my way around. I want to meet you in your space. I want to see who works with you. I want to understand your environment, right? Because then I'm going to be smarter because of it. I want to see you, um, you know, in your, we're in your space, right? It's kind of the undercover boss yeah. kind of approach, which I, you know, is maybe a bad example, but, <laughs> um, right. It's getting out there Ford motor company, right. They, they talked about new leadership coming in the first time the CEO was not a member of the Ford family. And actually they talked about wanting to go down and walk on the line and, and initially, right. All the administrative says, executives don't do that. Well, that's going to change, right? Yeah. And we are because I have to understand what's going on inside of my company, right? As as you work through it, right, and understand what what the challenges are that people face, right? You know, you bring up that walk around leadership, and um, I had an interesting conversation with another uh, mutual friend slash uh, someone we served with, um, Nelson. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Nelson. Yeah, so he's uh, working in Virginia right now uh, yeah. for the governor, but. Um, he, before that, he, when he went through his MBA program, he, he started working in, in healthcare and hospitals yeah. and basically became known as a hospital turnaround expert. And he did it multiple <laughs> times. He, you know, this changed negative budgets of several million to plus, you know, eight figure uh, net for these companies in California and, and, and hospitals. And we had a conversation about leadership and we're just on the phone and, and the exact example he brought up was like, you know, I just, when I was on a team, what I appreciated is when the battalion commander, when the group commander would just come around and sit down the other day and we'd pull a, you know, pull a cool, you know, pull a beer out of the, uh, out of the team fridge, sit down and he'd just be like, so what's going on? You know, what, what, yeah. what, tell me, you know, and, um, and halftime, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, just a, com- I don't want to say the B word, but you know, they're going to complain, right? Just like yeah. a BS session of like, well, this is, that's going on negatively, but he's like, but there's nuggets and you see the themes and that, and you have that connection now with that person. And he's like, I literally just did that. I just walked to the nurse's stations and sat down and was like, what's going on in the room? What's, what can I, you know, what's, what's happening? He's like, I, and he just learned so much. And he's like so many other, especially when it comes to turnaround PE, you know, type ventures, everyone's just focused on the the financial statements. Yeah. And he's like, there's levers that you can pull, but it's really about people. He's like, I just walked around and talked to people and asked them what I could help with. And all of a sudden he turned around a budget in $20 million in two years. You know, yeah. It's crazy. It's amazing what you can learn if you're willing to listen. <laughs> right. Really yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Well, we are definitely not done. And so I want to stop here as part of kind of part one before we start part two, because I think that that is a great way to end, um, you know, You've got to listen and got to be willing to listen as a leader. Um, but we have so much more to talk talk about uh, in part two. So uh, stay tuned for that. All right. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and share the Leadership After Hours podcast with your network. The world is crying out for leaders of character and people deserve to be led well. We all need to build businesses that develop people and profit. If you know a great leader that needs to be on the podcast, please reach out to us and our podcast producer, Aaron, will get back to them. It's Aaron E. R-I-N at slsp.biz. For a better tomorrow, build a new leader today.